checking your financial weather. What does that even mean? We'll find out with Andy Wong coming right up in episode 144. Are you tired of the traditional money advice? Me too. Bienvenida. Welcome to the Her Money Matters podcast. Join me each week for down-to-earth money conversations that will leave you with more confidence and inspiration to help you take control of your money. And you will probably learn some Spanish along the way too. Lista? You ready? Empecemos with. Let's get started. ¿Qué tal? How are you doing? I am happy to have you here. This is Jen Hemphill, your host. Time flies. And this is the very last episode of season seven. Not the podcast. Just let me be clear. Of season seven. And we are finishing it off with a fantastic guest. We are going to continue our talk on investing. Last week, we covered financial independence, which naturally involves investing to reach it. And today we'll talk about it in a different light. In this episode, you're going to learn the huge imprint opening a savings account as a boy had on our guest. You're going to learn the three main differences between men and women when it comes to investing, which is slightly different from what you've heard uh, in previous episodes. And you're also going to learn the importance of paying attention to quality of investments and checking the financial weather. Let me share with you a little bit about Andy Wong. He is a managing partner of Runnymede Capital Management. He is the host of the Inspired Money Podcast, which you should check out, by the way. He has been named amongst the Investopedia 100 Most Influential Advisors, Top 100 Most Social Financial Advisors by Brightscope, and has appeared on Reuters TV, The Huffington Post, Barron's, and Forbes. Runnymede is a fee-only registered investment advisor, or RIA, to captive insurance, pension funds, 401k plans, nonprofits, and individuals. Uh, Andy is married has three children and can be periodically found performing Hawaiian guitar in the New York tri-state area. Let's get to it. Vamos a conocer a Andy. Bienvenido, Andy, to the Her Money Matters podcast. I am thrilled to connect and have you here. I'm so excited to be here. I wanted, you were a financial advisor, but we before we get into that, because uh, I love having financial advisors, they each have their own special sauce, if you will. So it's always interesting talking. But before we get into what you do and your expertise, tell us a little bit about your money story. How did you grow up around money? What did you see? What did you experience? Well, my first memory of money is receiving either birthday money or Chinese New Year money. And my mom took me to the local bank, and I opened up a savings account. Um, actually received a passbook with my name on it, and deposited $100 and immediately saw $0.04 cents interest in my passbook. And nice. I remember loving that idea. Um, you know, with, with very low interest rates today, <laughs> kids wouldn't get that experience because you, 
you could have like hundreds of thousands of dollars in your account and maybe you get like one cent, but a hundred dollars and I got four cents and I was super excited. I really liked that. And then I went on to continue. I don't know. I think growing up, like I, I grew up in an affluent community, but for some reason I got a job when I was 15 years old and I was working the front desk at an indoor tennis club. And I recall at that time when you're a minor and you want to work, I had to get working papers in the state of New Jersey. And then Mm -hmm. I ended up um, teaching some tennis there too. And I guess for memory or money memory or experience, I think that my background's kind of unique in that I definitely grew up in a household where there were like professional money people, (laughs) if I can put it that way. My dad was the director of research at the Bank of New York. That's one of the oldest banks in America and in the world because it was founded in 1784 by American founding fathers, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. And uh, so my dad was a research analyst. There were about 200 institutions subscribing to his research. He was a keynote speaker. Um, He visited hundreds of companies uh, during his time there. He ended up running the Bank of New York's money management subsidiary. So he was managing the bank's pension fund and then outside clients. Um, And then my mom, when I, let's see, I'm trying to think now. When I was in fourth grade, my mom went back to work and she went back to work as a stockbroker at the local Merrill Lynch office. So I was surrounded by sort of money people and it was not uncommon to be sitting at the dinner table And my dad would be talking to me and my brother about the importance of return on equity. And is a company's return on equity trending upward or downward and economic cycles? Like that was just part of dinner (laughs) conversation for us. And did he break it down to you uh, in ways that you understood and give like really some neat examples or how how were those conversations? Because that's not... a simple concept necessarily to understand, depending on how you explain it, I suppose. He did. Thinking back, he did not put it in like kids' terms. He wasn't talking about <laughs> toys or like seasonality of the retail business. But I remember him talking about, because at one time early in his career, he was an analyst and he followed like machinery, so farming equipment. He used to he used to follow John Deere tractor and would go visit the company and come home and bring me these toy tractors, which were really cool. Uh, he also followed appliances like Whirlpool and Maytag. So th- that's what I'm remembering, that he would, he would be telling us about economic cycles. And there are cycles when people are replacing their washer dryer and trying to put that in context to how the economy changes. That's what I remember. Probably if you talked about toys, <laughs> I would have been even more interested. I'm sure. I, I, I do remember like kind of getting bored and wishing that I could go watch like different strokes on TV. That's <laughs> oh, dating myself. Strokes. but <laughs> Oh, no, I remember different strokes. I love that show. Yes. So he basically talked about more of the longer term, you know, the investing concepts. Uh, and did you, did you, your parents talk about uh, the budgeting? And uh, well, of course, they took you to the bank account to put money into your savings account. 
Uh, so they definitely talk to you about savings. But what other conversations th- did they have? Or were they just centered around like those investment investing uh, in the economy? Yeah, you know, it's funny, because now that I'm a parent, I have three kids, I try thinking about these things. Like, I try teaching them some money lessons. And, and I do that because I, I know that there's this gap, right? Because most of our schools don't teach us things that are practical, like budgeting, credit, investing. Like you might get a little bit, but not a lot of detail, which is why so many of us, like we do need help. And it requires learning, sort of real world learning. It's like you get out of school. Hopefully you learned not because you got yourself into trouble, but there's a lot of that. I think that for me, it was sort of like my parents just leading by example, which is probably a really good way to go. And I realized that with my kids too. I consciously want to teach them things. And then other times you just get busy and you don't teach them. But the reality is that kids are watching you. Yes. They're watching what you do, probably even more so than what you say. Mm. And it's funny because I started podcasting only like last year, about five, six months ago. And my son last week showed me this homework assignment that he had. And the homework assignment was, my goal is... And it was like dot, dot, dot. And then he had to fill it in. And he wrote, my goal is to have a podcast like my dad. Oh, so yeah, sweet. I know. <laughs> I know. It like, it like, I melted, right? And then there was a second part that said, if I cannot achieve my goal, then blank. And he wrote something like, he will keep doing it because he knows that his dad can do it and he can do it too. Oh my god! And it was so sweet. But- I had never tried teaching him about podcasting. That's just like because it's something that I'm doing and he sees it that they're learning when we don't even realize it. And I think that that happens with with money too. Absolutely. And I see that with my two boys as well. I try to... When I make mistakes, I'm I'm a very open book. So if I make a mistake, I tell them uh, this is what happened or or in ways that they can, I try as best as I can in ways that they can understand and, uh, and give examples. And, and I try to find as many money teachable moments as we can, because I know both my boys are into gaming. Uh, Gaming is not cheap. And depending on how much time they put into gaming, uh, they may get bored of that game. And there we go, they want to buy a new one. So it's about talking to them about really being intentional with the games that they buy in terms of how long is this going to last me? And because I always tell them technology advances so fast and because I'm waiting for the moment when they say I want the next whatever Xbox or whatever (laughs) the next thing is, right? Because it's going to change. And uh, yeah, so it's always I always try to find those money teachable moments uh, to have at least have those conversations and not necessarily me teaching them, but asking them questions to see what is it they know, where their head is at currently, uh, to really see how they're thinking and, and why they're thinking what they're thinking. So, Oh, I love that. I love that. And I really try impressing on our oldest, who's 10. I want her to embrace learning from mistakes. I mm. don't want the kids to be afraid of making mistakes. And I mentioned her because I know that She's kind of a perfectionist. That's me. And yeah, and I have the I have like tendencies too. And actually hanging on my wall, I have this quote that says, have no fear of perfection. You'll never reach it by Salvador Dali. Mm. And 
I want my daughter to realize too. It's like you have to embrace the possibility of failure because you're going to learn. So、mm-hmm. you can't be afraid of failure and let that deter you from trying to do something,、Absolutely. right? Because that's the worst. You don't want to be、um, sort of paralyzed just because you don't want to fail. Absolutely, I can't agree more. We are taking a quick detour from the interview because I got my Fab Fit Fun box, and I must say, wow! And if currently you're saying, Jen, what are you talking about? Well, Fab Fit Fun is sponsoring this week's episode, and it is a seasonal subscription box with full size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. It retails for forty nine ninety nine, but always has a value of over two hundred dollars. I absolutely love that you get to treat yourself on a budget because let's face it, it's okay to treat ourselves while working towards our financial goals. One of my favorites from this box is a smart high tech. Facial cleansing brush from Forio, and what's really cool that measures skin moisture, your skin age, and other things on this app. If you use the code HerMoney over at FabFitFun.com, you will get ten dollars off this subscription box. Now, FYI, they sell out fast, so you can take yourself on over to FabFitFun.com and use the code HerMoney to see the other items I got. You can head on to my Instagram stories. Now, let's get back to the show. So you've had this money story of your parents、um, working in the field of finance and investing, and、um, had a great upbringing. Did that impact your decision in becoming a financial advisor, or what about uh, this uh, the field of financial advising、uh, attracted you? I'm just curious.、Uh, yeah, it's funny thinking back because I wasn't a kid who grew up saying. I want to be a financial advisor, like knowing when I was five years old or something, right? Because you hear those stories that、mm-hmm. uh, you know these famous rock stars. They all knew what they wanted to do. Like by age twelve, they knew that they wanted to be entertainers, and yeah, that wasn't the case for me. I, I I never, I didn't think about it too much, and I didn't plan to work with my father. We have a family business now. I work、mm-hmm. with my dad. My younger brother is here. We, <laughs> we're one big happy family, all working together, and it's really great. But、um, that was not like the plan from when I was a little kid.、Mm-hmm. You know, I went off to school. I went to college.、Um, after college, I moved up to Boston, where I worked、uh, for a financial services、uh, company. And actually, back in high school and even college, I would do internships. Um, I worked at an investment counsel firm. I did an intern, an internship at what was、uh, Dean Re- Dean Witter Reynolds at the time, which was really cool because they circulated the interns in throughout the different departments of the brokerage firm. So over the course of a summer, I got to spend time on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I got to spend time on the American Stock Exchange, the institutional sales desk, the back office where they're processing. All the orders,、uh, so that was really an eye-opening experience, and I got to see sort of the flow of an order from the time that a customer calls it in, and then execution, and then the back office. So things have changed a lot since then, since 
it's so computerized now and more electronic. There are fewer and fewer fewer people involved. But um, to get back to your original question, yeah, so I worked a couple of jobs, um, not really in financial management, even though some of them were financially related. And then it was like five, six years outside of school, having worked at these other jobs that uh, I ended up coming back, um, moving back from Boston to New Jersey, joining my dad's company. And uh, now it's now I'm in my 20th year, which is kind of scary. Wow. Yeah, that scares that's fantastic. Me. <laughs> no, that's exciting and fantastic. And when you look at your website that I'll be sure to look up, link up in the show notes, it's, it's welcoming. It's because uh, when you think of personal or financial advisors, the stereotype, right? Not that for, uh, financial advisors are this, but the stereotype is just kind of dry, right? It's, but you, the way you have your website is it's personal, it's welcoming, it's, uh, you get to know a little bit about each of you, right? So I love that. Um, about what you all are doing there. So what would you say as a financial advisor, what is your own special sauce, if you will? What is your neat, unique way of like, of, of how you do what you do? Well, we all come at what we do from, I guess, the background of being either research analysts and portfolio managers. So we definitely have a focus on the investments Mm-hmm. Although we do do financial planning also, and um, but you know our our backgrounds are all in research, like securities and the portfolio management. So constructing portfolios to meet clients' unique needs and objectives. So our special sauce, I think, it's really like two things. One is invest in quality and mm-hmm. understand what you own. And we always define quality because when you tell someone that you invest in quality, everybody inherently thinks or believes that what's in their portfolio should be good quality. But we define that to mean uh, earnings. It's like a company has to have uh, earnings and preferably steady and consistent earnings growth because it's a pretty simple concept or thesis that if a company is growing their earnings say 10% or 12% every year, that their stock price should also increase because they are, um, you know, they're generating shareholder value because of that earnings stream. And it's something that we can measure as analysts. Um, We can determine where that earnings growth is coming from. And usually it's a geographic expansion or introducing new products or services. You know, it's not rocket science. And if we can find company managements who know what they're doing, can explain to us very clearly and easily why their earnings are expected to grow in the next three to five years, then we as investors can sleep pretty well at night because we know that we can depend on a great company management to determine, you know, they deal with the day-to-day challenges of running their business. They deal with competition. And hopefully these companies have some barrier to entry that uh, you know makes their business more attractive. And then we as investors, we just need to look at the earnings stream. And as long as that is on the upward trend, then you know, it, 
putting it as simply as possible, then we're willing to hold on to those companies. And then if things change, then we have to make a decision to make a shift. The second thing that we do is we believe that it's important to know what the financial weather is. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just like when you wake up in the morning. I don't know about you, but like the first thing I do is I check my phone, the weather app, (laughs) to see is it going to rain or not. And I also check the temperature. Mm -hmm. And things are changing, right? I don't don't have uh, an Amazon device at home, but more and more of my friends have one. So they... They just echo. ask Alexa. Yeah. Yeah, the Echo. I haven't gotten to that. They just ask Alexa. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm afraid. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I want Alexa spying, <laughs> exactly. spying on me or not. I feel the same way. But ultimately, I'll probably give up on my privacy because I already <laughs> have on Facebook and everywhere else. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So the second half of that is we want to pay attention to what is the financial weather. And luckily, that does not change as often as the weather outside. Right. Um, you know, sure, there's volatility, but um, the market cycles, it, on average, uh, excuse me, on average, it used to be three to four years, you'd have a bear market. So you really only had to pay attention. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. And uh, once every three to four years, that okay, there are certain times where you should be more defensive with your investment portfolio. That has now turned into like eight to 10 years. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like people forget to even check the weather, but we still think it's super important, especially for retirees because they no longer have a paycheck coming in. Like retirees do not want to go through another financial crisis where you know, they saw their investment portfolio reduced by anywhere from like 30% to 60%. If you don't have income coming in to replenish that, you, you don't want to go through that stress. Right, right. And I like those two things that you, that you mentioned. So when you're saying investing in quality, that completely makes sense. You want to invest in something that is growing. It might be uh, what you're investing in, maybe things that you support and like, but the importance is you're investing for a reason for growth. So you have to look at what's growing. And then I really um, like how you mentioned, check the financial weather. So for example, we're supposed to, right? It's nearing, what was it? 2007, 2008. So we're supposed to be in essence of that, uh, those statistics uh, reaching another market, right? So for those, when you're talking about watching the financial weather and you're talking about if you're about to retire, if you're aware of that and granted, it might not reach that, it might not happen, but if you're nearing retirement, so you're saying to look at the weather, see how close you are to that next bear market and adjusting those investments so you won't, so, so you're safe. That's what I'm understanding, correct? That's correct. I mean... I think, well, there are two things. One is that there is an adjustment to one's asset allocation as you're approaching retirement, right? Right. Like the expectation is that the older you get, the amount of stocks that you own should be reduced Mm -hmm. because then your portfolio is going to be, it's going to have less volatility and it's less susceptible to a significant market correction. Um, so there's that. But on top of that, 
we think that it doesn't it, it shouldn't just be uh associated to one's age mm. like even if, okay if you're retired or even if you're younger sure if you're younger you can withstand uh you know market losses because you have time on your side mm-hmm. um but we nevertheless we still pay attention to what's going on in the economy our assessment of is there high risk or low risk of a bear market happening in the next 6 to 12 months because we think that we should do something even for the 30 year old you know the adjustment may not be as drastic mm-hmm. to uh to be more defensive but we think it's still part of our job to make that assessment and to be managing our client accounts and to communicate with our clients because each client has different goals different objectives you know we have clients who say I'm not worried about a bear market. Even if you think there's one coming, I don't want you doing anything differently. And then there are others that say, well, you don't do anything drastic. But yeah, if you think that an adjustment needs to be made, that's why we entrust you with our money. Right. And, um, you know, that they, they do have that expectation. And, and, and oddly, I think that that contradicts uh, the majority of my industry you know, most say, all right, we have set your allocation based on your age and it's just going to stay static. It's not going to change based on any sort of market expectation. It will solely change because of your age and how close you are to retiring. Right. That's interesting. I love it. So let's talk about investing in terms of the differences in between men and women, how men and women uh invest and in your experience i'm curious well i when it comes to investing men and women definitely have different tendencies i mean there's i think there's a little bit of a danger to make wide generalizations right right but (laughs) but the data says so um you know men are generally more confident about investing women tend to be more goal-oriented and they trade less the challenge is real because women often end up with smaller nest with smaller nest eggs than men and i think that the reason for that is that they earn less in their jobs yep men save off, more they because pause. they earn more yeah and they then pause, they take yep. a pause uh, in their career to have children and maybe be at Correct. home i've done that uh so oh i definitely i definitely see that so what else have you seen? And because, of course, there's also stats that um, support that women are better investors. So, yes, and the, the statistics show that men are more confident investing. And then other stats show that when, when it comes to being a better investor, women are better investors. I don't know if you're I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but <laughs> that's what I that's what I recall. And I, I I'm think wondering, that's true. Like, Right. So I'm wondering how can we, because that's a part of, I don't deal with investing, but a part of what I do is help women increase that financial confidence, right? Uh, So what do you think we can do to shift that perspective or that fear or that lack of confidence that women may be feeling and investing? Um, what do you think we can what do you think needs to be done to change that? Well, those are two things that I think are worth digging into. 
Um, one that you say that women, a lot of data supports that women are better investors. And I think that that speaks to the fact that the men tend to trade more often. And I think that oftentimes, especially for non-professionals, that works against them. Mm. Like the women who, women also uh, participate in their like employer-sponsored retirement plans um, at a higher percentage. And then once they, once they set their allocation, and more women than men also pick um, the target date funds, which adjust automatically um, depending on their target date of retirement. So they're, they're not having to worry about uh, each quarter or each year making an adjustment to their portfolio as they're getting older. That's happening automatically for them. So less is more, right? I think that the women tend to do better and they need to do better because women live mm-hmm. longer than men statistically. And then getting on to your confidence, because that is that mm-hmm. is just huge. I'm super concerned about that because I have mm. two daughters. My wife and I both want to nurture them to be strong, confident girls. And we want them to be interested in computers and STEM and investing or whatever interests them. But definitely when it comes to money, as you said, women still lag behind the men in feeling confident, satisfied with their bank accounts, their net worth, their knowledge of money, their salary, and their investments. And I think in this digital world, knowledge is power, Mm -hmm. right? And women know that there's a wage gap. Yes. When I mentioned to you that many women have less money, their nest egg is smaller because they make less. And women acknowledge the fact that there's this inequality in the work in the workplace. And right, that means that men make more than women performing the same job. Right. But there's another gap that I think women need to know about and make an effort to close. And this gap is that women invest less than men do. And only 55% of women are even aware that this investing gap exists. Interesting. So they're better investors, but yet invest less. Because I was wondering if even though they had less in their nest egg, I was wondering, you know, I'm thinking here and through, okay, so there's, they're making less money. So that's a factor. Uh, And overall, the the scope of the lifetime, the wage gap, all that stuff. So but they're also you're saying is that the stats show that they invest less. So there are a a lot of cross currents, because I also said that they participate in their like, employer-sponsored retirement plan at a higher percentage than men. But it all comes down to the confidence that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And I think in many cases, it's the, it's the money outside of like the 401k plan at work where men are investing their money and women tend to save more and have cash that is not working for them. Okay. Yep. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's where really I think that the that's where the investment gap lives. And women who wait to invest that money, by some estimates, they're losing about a hundred dollars a day. Interesting. Interesting. So basically, it's a matter of so if we were you and I, Andy, to shift and and make a difference for women in the world right now. <laughs> now that we, you and I can do it by ourselves. 
Uh, but if we were to do that, basically, we're needing to increase the confidence. We are needing to help them um, get out of that investing gap that you referred to. Uh, and really, I think as well, you spoke to, because they, we women, we are better savers as well, right? So it's a right. matter of um, having the discussion or having, uh, and this is just in general terms, because for those of you listening, I know <laughs> there's a lot of rock stars in there. So, but in terms of, in, in general, the general woman population. So we need to talk, uh, increase confidence levels, uh, talk about that investment gap where women are, yes, they're saving, they're just leaving what's going on in the their jobs for a 1k, but yet they're saving outside and they're not making that money work for them. So it's a matter of having those conversations seeing out of that money that they're saving that they're not making work for them. Why are they saving it there? Right? So why is it because you have to save them? Are you told to save money? Or uh, is it a a safety cushion. So it's a matter of, I think, having those conversations uh, to have them make, um, to understand where they're coming from, one, uh, and why they're do- ma- uh, making those decisions to be able to arrive to have them look at the investing in a different perspective. Does that make sense? Or did I just turn everything all? <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. I think it always starts with one, communication, and two, education, right. because that's how you're going to hopefully close any gap. Right. Uh, right. Because even uh, even the wage gap uh, in the corporate world, the more that people are talking about it and uh, it's out in the open, then... Mm-hmm. You know, the more educated everybody is, then the hope is that progress will be made. Oh, absolutely. If everyone just sweeps it under the rug and pretends like it's not there, then it's never going to go away. Oh, absolutely. And with confidence, it's not about just confidence and how you deal with your finances, but it's also about confidence and negotiating a higher salary and knowing and valuing your worth, valuing the value you bring to your work or your business, whatever it is for you, but confidence goes in so many different areas. <laughs> uh, That's for sure. So definitely Public speaking, everything, everything, <laughs> everything. But in the terms of this podcast, it's about not just having the confidence and in investing in your finances, but negotiating what you should be paid because of that wage gap. Because that wage gap over the course of time makes a huge difference. We don't think about it, but, and I don't have the statistic in front of me, but over the course of time is the, it makes a huge difference for sure. Huge difference, huge difference. Yeah. You know, not only do they do these studies, you know, try to measure people's knowledge, but they do extrapolate too. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when there is that gap where women are investing less than men, so like women earning $50,000, they might be missing out on hundreds of thousand dollars because of that gap. But women earning $100,000, and you spread that over 30 years, mm-hmm. like the gap could be over a million dollars. You know, the significance is huge. Right, right. Absolutely. Love it. Well, this has been fantastic, Andy. I definitely had some aha moments from my conversation with you. I've learned some, which I absolutely love. And I know those listening have learned as well. So I appreciate your time here with us today. And uh, I hope we talk again sometime soon. I would love to. It's uh, been my pleasure and a lot of fun to be 
on Her Money Matters because her money does matter. Well, thank you. All right. So what did you think? That was another good one, right? Lots of good information. Andy is fantastic. Before I go on to talking a little bit more about our conversation today with Andy, I want to do La Mención Semanal or the weekly shout out. And this week, it's to you. Yes, you listening to this podcast at this very moment. I am grateful you chose this podcast. I know you have so many options. And, you know, with so many options available in terms of podcasts or the grocery store, anywhere else, it makes our lives so much more difficult. And so I really, really appreciate you being here and listening to those podcasts. Now, I do want to remind you, this podcast is for you. So if you want to hear a particular guest, or if you want to make sure a certain topic or question is covered, don't be shy. Just let me know. Now, back to our conversation with Andy. Remember the three differences in between men and women when it comes to investing that he mentioned. Uh, He mentioned the wage gap, which makes a difference because if there's less money that women are making, uh, that they're investing less, which naturally led to the second difference, the investment gap. So women are investing less. Uh, There's factors in that, right? And then the third difference is the lower confidence, which you have heard me talk about confidence before, about financial confidence. And I wanted to hone in on the confidence piece for a moment. For on a scale of one to 10, right at this moment, how do you feel? 10 being amazing. How would you rate your financial confidence at this very moment, at the very moment that you're listening to this podcast? Quick, just think through it. And what is it? And on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like fantastically um, uh, confident and one being the opposite. Now, if it's less than a five, and if it basically, let's, let's say how, if it's less than a five, let's say how content are you with your pay? So that would be the next question, right? So if you, if you rated yourself less than a five, how content are you, are you with your current pay? Or, Add in another question or the money that you're investing currently on that same scale of one to 10, what would you say? I want to veer and guess that chances are they're maybe about similar, you know, maybe not too much of a variation. Am I right? You'll have to let me know. And the reason why I say that is because financial confidence is extremely important in all aspects of your financial life. Uh, to be able to go to ask for that pay raise, to invest, to be able to invest more, not to be able to, but because anybody can invest, but just taking the actual action of investing. Uh, two, the financial confidence is important also as well on not being afraid to make sure your investments are in the right place. So really getting more actively involved and understanding that doesn't mean you have to know everything, right? Like the back of your hand. But really may having make making sure that you're confident with what you're investing in, right? Uh, it's also important in saving more, uh, because if you're more confident, uh, you are going to be making better decisions, which allows you to save more. It's going to allow you to get out of debt quicker. I mean, I can go on and on on how extremely important and why 
financial confidence is important. So how can you improve upon this? I actually did an episode a little way, little ways back, episode 127 on seven ways to increase that confidence. So I'll make sure that I link that episode in the show notes and today's show notes. And if not, just remember 127. You can just go to the website, to my website and just do HMM 127 or just 127 and that should come up or just financial confidence. So I encourage you to do that as an action step. If you haven't listened to that episode, do that. Because if you are at less than a five or maybe a six or a seven, you can always improve, right? But so I encourage you to listen to that episode to to see how can you increase that financial confidence. Now, if that interview resonated with you, if Andy resonated with you, Make sure you learn more about him. I feel he's fantastic and also learn about his podcast that's called Inspired Money. And you can find that over at inspiredmoney.fm. I had the pleasure of being a guest on his podcast recently. So I will be sure to put the direct link also in today's show notes. And another resource besides this particular episode besides uh, learning more uh, from the episode 127 and so forth. Another resource for you to help you with your financial confidence is my daily money ritual tool. It's a simple worksheet that helps you regroup your financial life and allows you to be more present with that confidence, right? And if you're not feeling confident, you're able to really acknowledge that because sometimes we're not feeling confident about our money, but we just move on. So it's being present so you can do something about it. And I have a free copy waiting for you over at jenhempill.com forward slash ritual. So this is officially the end of season seven. We are taking a break in the month of June. So there'll be no traditional episodes or show notes or that type of thing, but Instead, we will be having a few replays and a few mini episodes. But for the mini episodes, I do need your your help in choosing uh, the content or choosing the uh, what I'm going to talk about in those mini episodes. So just be sure to get all the details on that and provide your feedback with the link I'm providing in these show notes because there's a thread in our community about that. So that is a wrap for today. I want to thank Andy for joining us and sharing all the goodness that you shared today. Andy, I really appreciate it. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the resources that we talked about today, including Andy's fantastic podcast, Inspired Money, over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 144. And don't forget, if you love this episode, it would mean the world to me. If you shared it with a friend, family member, stranger, someone you just met, uh, because you never know, this particular episode or this podcast could make an impact on them for the better. So I will see you again next week for the first replay. Ciao.